Welcome to the Shift Happens podcast, where we explore the latest trends and insights in the digital workplace. From the role of AI in the workplace to the future of remote work, we cover it all. Tune in as we chat with industry leaders and experts. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started in the digital landscape, we've got you covered. Subscribe to Shift Happens wherever you listen to podcasts and stay ahead of the curve. It's making them think differently in terms of how they present that content. So you don't always need a full news article with photography and pictures. You don't always need to do a five-minute video that's highly you know, produced. Sometimes just a 120-character message that is tied to a date is really going to get the message across. Welcome to another episode of the Shift Happens Podcast. I'm your host, Dux Raymond Sai, Modern Workplace Professional, Microsoft MVP, and Regional Director. For today's episode, I'm joined by Christy Punch, Digital Consultant and Product Manager at Wells Fargo. Hey, Christy, and welcome to the show. Hi, Dux. Thanks for having me. What was the last time we saw each other? It was, I think, in Sydney or Johannesburg, South Africa, right? No, I think actually we met up in Las Vegas at the Office 365 SharePoint conference. That's right. This was back in May. I remember now. Yeah, we were having lunch because your colleague won uh, the Ducati we gave away a few years ago. That's right. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm so glad to be speaking to you today. And thank you for, um, for your willingness to share your story. Because I think it's really exciting what you y'all are going through. And this is an opportunity for our audience to hear how you're shaping through technology, corporate culture and information. And we know that intranets are often the ground zero for that. So, so tell us how you got started in this journey and found yourself doing this work at Wells Fargo. Yeah, so I got into this space about 12 years ago at the company I worked for before Wells Fargo when the company's intranet needed a major overhaul and I raised my hand to leave the effort. And that's when my love affair with the digital workplace and employee experience began. And about uh, after eight years at that organization, I was ready for a new challenge. And one of my mentors had heard about an open position with Wells Fargo on the enterprise portal team. And at the time, Wells Fargo was growing and more and more team members were working remotely. So the portal is like the front door to the organization and plays a major role in helping team members feel connected to the company and to one another, regardless of where they're located. So my mentor convinced the hiring manager for that position to take a chance on hiring a full-time remote remote worker who would be working in the same way. So many of the other Wells Fargo team members were already working and could then apply that lens to that role. So luckily for me, that provided me with the amazing opportunity to shape the transformation of work at one of the largest banks in the world while also continuing to live and work in my small town of Charleston, South Carolina. I'm sure when you got in, obviously this was an amazing opportunity and you talk about one of the largest banks in the world, essentially what? It's over 263,000 employees across 32 countries, right? That's right. That's right. Very large organization. So when you learn about this, what, what went through your mind as you're going to start building up this uh, essentially discipline and, and this transformation? Uh, what are some of the thoughts that uh, came across? 
So it was really overwhelming at first. Um, there's a lot of challenges, um, additional challenges that you have to care for when you support many, many team members scattered across the globe. Um, the scale is always a variable for us and always top of mind when we're looking at exploring or delivering any new technology at Wells Fargo. So things like performance, governance, user adoption, they take on a whole new meaning with this scale. Um, you quickly realize that you can't solve for every use case or unique need. There's just way too many. So it enables you to look for creative approaches to solve for multiple use cases and to give stakeholders the tools they need to empower themselves to solve for their own needs. So the value of working for a company of this size is the opportunity to have a significant impact in the digital workplace with the work that we do. So I get really energized in my role when I see the work that our team does kind of move the needle for the company when delivering on such a large scale. So even just a small enhancement can have a significant impact at a company of our size. So a small change that may seem uh, pretty minor when it saves team members 10 minutes of their day or might cut down on help desk calls, that can translate into significant dollar savings um, once you apply the scale of that um, to our company. So it's really gets me excited and energized around my role when I get to see those, those types of impacts with what we do. So this is amazing, right? You and I sometimes take for granted, like you said, little things or small features. But if you look at the broader scale and the impact for the rest of the organization, you can see how the ripple effect comes across and the value people get in the business get. So can you share, if, if you can, some stories or use cases or what you think, like little tweaks that made a huge impact? Yeah, so we on um, our recent enterprise portal redesign, um, some of the new features that we introduced um, were driven by a lot of feedback from our team members and a lot of user research and one of the things that we heard a lot was that our team members just don't have a lot of time. They're not going to spend a lot of time reading all of the content on the homepage, reading every news article. It's just not feasible. And so they told us that they really wanted to be able to understand, what do I need to know? What is the top priority for me if I only have two minutes on this homepage? And so we created a really basic feature that um, provides our communicators with a way to push um, very brief messages. So we limit it to 120 characters. Oh, wow. And we, like a tweet. Exactly, exactly. And um, each update is tied to a date. So it might say due um, Friday or read by this date, start this date, et cetera. And then those updates will stack um, based on what's the most timely item. And we also color code them. So the small little, very simple widget, um, very basic functionality, no, no rocket science behind the scenes, provides a way for team members to just at a glance see what's important, what they need to know um, based on the timeliness of when they need to know that. And we've actually seen um, a really big uh, positive response with that new feature. Team members really like it. They see a lot of value in it. 
And it's really shifted the way that our communicators are pushing out information to our team members. It's making them think differently in terms of how they present that content. So you don't always need a full news article with photography and pictures. You don't always need to do a five-minute video that's highly, you know, produced. Sometimes just a 120-character message that is tied to a date is really going to get the message across or get the action that you need to be taken by team members for that particular update. Yeah, I'm sure if it was me, if there was a headline that says everybody gets a 10% bonus, <laughs> that hits the mark, right? Um, exactly. So when you first got there, I understand uh, the portal or the internet started on SharePoint 2010. Was the experience similar or was the value felt the same way back then as to today? And if not, what made you start thinking that we need to change this? Well, we had a lot of pain points with SharePoint 2010. Um, the portal at the time was about five years old. Um, it in terms of being on SharePoint 2010, it had been customized upon customization. I call it the pancake effect, just layers and layers of enhancements and customizations. Um, it was a, a really heavy application. And with a company of our size, um, with that performance um, being top of mind, we constantly had performance issues. So if one small web part or customization had a problem, um, in terms of performance, it would take the entire site down. Um, so that had significant impacts on our team members who couldn't get to the tools and things that they needed to do their jobs. Um, it also limited us in terms of flexibility to offer up solutions for our different lines of business and their unique needs. So customizations were always complex and costly, and SharePoint didn't really play well with other vendor applications and at Wells Fargo, a team member may need to use up to four different platform, different platforms or applications just to complete one task. And so that requires navigating to each platform. They all have different user experiences. It was really painful. Um, and, and lastly, we were on this, what we call the platform upgrade carousel. So we would upgrade to the latest version of on-premise SharePoint. And it was always a large-scale project, takes multiple years, ties up our resources, and, of course, significant costs. And once that upgrade was finished, it was only a matter of time before we had to upgrade to the next version to avoid the end-of-life support. So with our enterprise portal at the time on SharePoint 2010, we were already experiencing a lot of pain points um, with the platform. And then, of course, we were approaching that end of life date. And so we were at a decision point in terms of do we continue on this carousel of upgrades and just upgrade to the next version? Or is it time to take a step off of that carousel and look at what are the problems that we really need to solve with the platform agnostic approach rather than letting the technology always determine what we should or shouldn't do? Hello, Shift Happens podcast listeners. I have an exciting offer for you. Join us for our in-person Shift Happens conference, October 10 to 11 in Washington, D.C. Registration is free. That's right, it's free. And you walk away with actionable strategies from industry leaders and peers to make Shift happen in your digital workplace. 
Visit shifthappens.to to register today. We'll see you there. You know, you, you bring up a great point, right? And certainly later we'll talk more about what the future holds. But back in the day, that was the norm. Yeah. Every three years, 2007, 2010, 2013. And you're right, especially large organizations, once you're done with the upgrade, then one more week, then you're planning for the next one. Exactly. When you all thought about positioning in a different way, instead of thinking of upgrading the technology, but really looking at more from a business lens, what were the conversations with leadership when you wanted to make this case for this change? And what are some of the obstacles that you have to overcome to get started? Yeah, so in taking a different approach from the normal upgrade carousel, we we still needed funds. We still needed leadership support and funds to be able to do something. Um, and those funds that we needed were comparable to what we would be spending or what was needed for another SharePoint upgrade. So in order to make the case to try something different, we had to show our leadership that the investment up front in something different and more innovative would save us costs in the long term. So in the in the future, so we had to show that, yes, we're making a, a comparable investment with our normal upgrade pattern, but it's going to enable us to get off this upgrade cycle and provide us with the opportunity to explore different approaches to solve for line of business and team member needs that in the past we may not have been able to address because we were tied up by our technology. So things like the opportunity to look at work with integrating with different platforms and different applications and providing that in, in one user experience, things that we weren't able to do or didn't have the flexibility to do with SharePoint 2010 in the past. And we were really lucky to have um, support and, and heavy involvement from our senior leadership. And I think it goes without saying that any large technology effort, that's probably one of the most critical things that you need to be successful. It, I think it's really hard to be successful with any large technology shift without that top layer leadership support. Absolutely. And I assume when y'all were thinking about this new approach, you weren't constrained by technology, meaning well, we need a new approach, but we still have to use SharePoint. That wasn't the case, correct? Exactly. That's what we wanted to shift away from is rather than SharePoint being uh, constraining us in terms of what we can and can't do, um, looking at it differently and saying, let's figure out what do we want to solve for? What do we want our end state to be? And then look for what's the right technology to help us get there. So when you came up with the approach, issues you want to address, what you want to solve for, can you share what are some of the top things that came up, like key things you want to solve for, uh, key business value you want to offer? And then from that point, I, I, I would assume then you figure out technology, right? So maybe you want to highlight some of these? Yeah. So we actually spent, which it sounds a little crazy, but I'm glad we did it. We spent an entire year just on user research, driving out concepts and prototypes and really trying to understand and learn what our true needs are and what we needed to solve for. So we did significant internal user research with our team members. We spent a lot of time with our stakeholder, internal stakeholders um, trying to understand what their needs are, what they needed to solve for. 
And then we went through an iterative design process where we started with a concept design. And then we brought in team members and we brought in stakeholders and we had them react to that design. We asked them a lot of questions, got a lot of feedback, and then that feedback fed into the next design. So we continued that cycle. And I think we iterated through at least 12 different concept designs and prototypes with these groups until we got to a point where the feedback was from a majority of the feedback was very positive and, you know, Hey, this, this looks great. This would work. This would solve for my needs. And it it wasn't very agile in terms of um, just trying to move quickly through delivering something, but we knew that in order to shift and reset our assumptions of what our needs were from just years past um, we needed to go through this exercise to really reset ourselves and, and determine what those high-level needs were. And as you proceeded and move forward, y'all decided to move towards a essentially a .NET site with a lot of microservices on the back end and still leveraging SharePoint 2016. Can you talk about that process from a technical perspective as you put together the solution, put the pieces together to meet these uh, needs and requirements that was surfaced? Yeah, so in parallel to working on that user research and those design concepts, we also started to work with our technology team and ask them to do their own research to explore new technology approaches and look out there and see you know, what are different ways to address some of these major pain points that we had identified um, that we were experiencing through SharePoint 2010. And so at um, one point, our technology team came back to us and brought the concept of microservices to us. And this was about late 2015 timeframe. So it was fairly a fairly new concept in terms of something to be used um, internally. And I'll admit, I was really skeptical at first because it sounded really complex and, and very new. Um, but after learning about the potential benefits that we would have and the opportunities that it could create for us um, down the road, it was really an easy sell. So um, for those not familiar with microservices, it's it's an approach to um, the application where you have a system of services or web APIs that operate as almost like individual applications versus being one physical site of code where everything is tied together. So with our new portal homepage, we now have this light .NET site that pulls in or loads all of these individual services that make up our homepage. And the data and features render in a seamless user experience that we get to control and that we design. The value is that the homepage loads really quickly. It's always available, performs much better. If one of those services or features has an issue, rather than taking down the whole homepage like it may have done in the past, it would display an error message in place of where it is, but the rest of the homepage would function as expected. And those impacts that we were experiencing for team members was was much less. Speaking to the SharePoint, I I do want to mention that, yes, we do still have SharePoint. So we didn't move completely away from SharePoint. We still use SharePoint, um, but now it's more of a Um, content management system or a database. So our publishing processes and all of those workflows behind the publishing 
processes are in SharePoint. And when we embarked on this effort, we didn't want to impact those processes. We wanted to limit the change impacts for our publishers and all of the data that was already stored in these numerous lists and site collections. So the value with microservices is it allowed us to move away from being reliant on SharePoint as a platform and enabled us to build a service to SharePoint and pull in that publishing data, pull in those news articles and those, those updates and what have you and surface them in our new seamless user experience on that .NET site. So it's really enabled us to look at SharePoint in a different way and how we use it um, with our new microservices. That's uh, one of the core SharePoint strength, right? Where uh, while SharePoint is behind the scenes on the hood, it's really good with content uh, data storage. So even if you look at Office 365, a lot of organizations now are using Teams, but the crux of Office 365, the fabric that holds a lot of the data is still SharePoint. So ha- by having this model, you're really using the best of breed for the tech- technology, but you're making it like you said, light and scalable. So in the example you started uh, earlier where you talked about like uh, hot news or, or important messages, I assume that's a microservice in itself, right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. And then you would have other features or widgets on the homepage that, that gets pulled via this microservice architecture. That's correct. So now we can actually build services to other applications and platforms and surface data in the same user experience that we that we're surfacing that SharePoint data. So it provides us with a lot of flexibility to pull from other sources of data uh, to provide more of that seamless experience for our team members. And speaking of Office 365, we're also um, with microservices cloud ready from a perspective that if some of our content moves away from on-premise to Office 365 or SharePoint Online, we're already able to pull that data. So with microservices, you can also pull from externally hosted cloud applications. And so that's something that for us, based on the roadmaps for uh, SharePoint and for our Microsoft products, that's something that in the near future we'll we'll be tackling. Well, so really, not only did you tackle this from an experience standpoint, from a business standpoint, technical sample, but really you're looking into future-proofing it as well, right? So a lot of this today is still on-premises. Uh, I was going to ask, when you're going to the cloud, how do you do that shift? But sounds like you all already thought about it, where you can port it seamlessly to the cloud platform if needed. Yeah, that's correct. So with all of that content um, for the publishing processes and workflows, um, it was when we rolled this out this new microservices approach, that content and those workflows were still on SharePoint 2010. And we actually this year just upgraded that platform to SharePoint 2016. And it became more of a data migration versus a, um, from the perspective of of this publishing content, having to worry about all of the front end migration, you know, moving those customizations over, et cetera. It was um, a much shorter and less costly effort from that perspective, because it was more of a CMS versus being the front end. 
So let's talk about your your new internet, your new portal. What are some of the new key features? Uh, you talked about one already, like the the important news or, or highlights. Um, what what other new features are there that you think is essential for the digital workplace? And how did you incorporate a lot of the feedback you've gotten from uh, your your colleagues and team members? Yeah. So one of the features that I was most excited about is a feature that we call notifications. Um, which sounds uh, pretty similar and familiar, but it literally is just like what you would expect, a little bell icon um, across our uh, digital workplace that is aggregating and surfacing notices or things that you need to take action on from multiple enterprise or line of business systems. So when I request to take the day off of work, I have to make that request through a different system. Um, and then that usually sends an email to my manager who then has to go into that system and make the approval with notifications. Now that item for asking for approval from my manager is coming to her in this new notifications tool. And she's able to see that and go into the system and make the approval. Um, and then in some cases we have where system notifications uh, where you can take action on that notification directly in that interface itself. So you don't even have to go to that system to make that approval. So we've started with about, uh, I think we're at seven different enterprise systems right now, and we're actively working with numerous other application owners across the organization and pulling in more of these notifications from these various systems so that our team members have one place to go. It's aggregated. It's simple. They can see all these things they need to take action on or make approvals on in one place. And now it's um, available in a mobile experience because we've made um, this new site mobile optimized. So if they're the manager is traveling and they're in the airport and they've got some things they need to approve for their team members, they can open this up and quickly make those approvals while they're walking to their next gate. So um, because of the microservices and the ability to connect those services with other applications and pull in that data, that's really enabled um, us to kind of shift how team members are, are looking at that type of work. And based on, especially mobile, right, we think a lot about the modern workplace and the digital workplace, especially with 263,000 and more employees around the world. It, it's not just managers, pretty much everybody is mobile. So what other capabilities within the mobile experience can people um, take advantage of? Uh, you talked about notifications. They can go through and read latest news and updates or corporate communications. Can they interact with it, for example, like pull up reports or fill out a form and uh, file for PTO, et cetera? Yeah, so mobile is an area that we're still evolving. So before, when we were on SharePoint 2010, we didn't really have much of a mobile experience. It I mean, I don't even know if I'd call it an experience. It was a lot of pinching and zooming, um, trying to, you know, zoom in enough and then click on the link real quick and hope that you clicked on the right link if, if you could get to it. And it was really painful. So with, um, with our new enterprise portal, we moved to what's called an adaptive design. So it's um, similar to responsive design, where some areas of the, of the page will respond based on the, the screen width, but we also have areas of the of the page that shift or change in how they function based on um, the screen width that you're on. 
But one thing we've learned is that we've moved the needle in terms of satisfaction with mobile. Now you can quickly scroll through content and read content, navigate to places you need, make those approvals with notifications. But we still have a lot of work to do with with mobile Um, in terms of the feedback that we've gotten is that when team members use mobile, it's for very specific use cases. So there's a lot of things that team members don't want to do on a mobile device. And so we're learning that we need to invest from a mobile experience more in those mobile specific use cases to really help team members easily do the things that they want to do on a mobile device versus trying to make everything mobile. Um, so that's really helped us learn in terms of we've gotten we've gotten it to a good kind of baseline or a good place in terms of mobile, much better um, from where we were before. But now that we're in a baseline place, now it's time for us to really dive in and look at, okay, what are those top use cases or those top tasks that our team members are wanting to do on mobile and really focusing on improving those? So I, I would say that we're, we're getting closer, but that is one area that I'm hoping that we can continue to move the needle on and make improvements. And, and that's an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, I love the part where you, where you looked at it from a perspective of let's get the basics in place and then let's talk about use cases and not go too crazy and say, oh, let's make everything mobile, right? Because some use cases just doesn't make sense. Um, But anything that's quick or especially for a specific audience, for example, they may be out and about people in the field. So those are good examples or or scenarios uh, that you can put mobile capabilities uh, into. Yeah, exactly. So with this change, um, with the new internet, with your digital workplace, I'm sure it's continuous evolution. Have you seen it impacting your corporate culture and communication? And uh, if you have, how so? What are some instances that you kind of look at what's going on and step back and say, oh, wow, this new portal, this internet has really made an impact? Yeah, so with our new portal and the microservices approach, we are looking at ways to empower our lines of business and other application owners to build solutions for our homepage. So um, we know that our team, while we're a mighty team, we can't solve for everything. We can't, um, there's, it's not feasible for us to try to deliver on every need and every um, individual unique use case across the organization, the scale, we're just too too big of a company with, with great needs. And so what we've done is we've started to build um, this app model approach. So we are um, building out a governance model around building solutions for our homepage um, and leveraging this microservices where a line of business or another um, system or application owner could essentially build a widget or a micro app um, for our digital workplace or for our homepage. And what we've done is we've built in customization elements onto the homepage where a team member can actually customize their homepage and add select from a list of apps and add those apps to their homepage that are relevant for them. So they're, you know, I, I always make the comparison to like an iPhone. So 
Ducks, if you and I compared our phones, we'd probably have a lot of the same apps. I bet we both have Facebook or LinkedIn on our phones, but we may have different banking apps or we might have different apps based on how we communicate with our spouses or those, uh, those grocery lists or what have you. And so it's kind of the same concept for us um, with our new portal in that everybody is different in their needs and everybody works differently and uses different applications. So we want to grow a, a library of different apps or tools that then team members can select from and be able to make the homepage more relevant for them. And tying this back to how this has kind of shifted the, the culture and, and the way that we work is this has allowed us to open up a lot of new partnerships across the organization. So we are looking at working with groups in the organization that we've maybe never partnered with before or hadn't thought about partnering with before. Um, we're becoming more digital connectors across the organization, um, influencing other groups to you know, build apps to solve their own problems um, for their team member groups, looking at um, different ways to tackle the same problem across, you know, try to break down those silos across different large lines of business. So an example that I'll share of something that is really neat that we're, our team is working on um, in partnership with our HR department is a new chatbot. Um, that we're actually piloting right now with our team members um, to just kind of learn and see how this can evolve. But this has created a partnership with, um, we have an artificial intelligence group in um, the company that is has mostly in the past been focused on external use cases for our customers. Um, but we've partnered with them to look at an internal use case for AI. And then also with our human resources partners um, to build out a chatbot that will hopefully help team members answer very basic HR questions, um, help them perform simple HR tasks, things that normally they would either not know how to solve for themselves or get on the HR um, help desk line and, and spend a lot of time trying to figure out with somebody on the phone. Um, so we're building new partnerships to tackle problems, which I think is really interesting and it's, it's kind of exciting because it, it just offers up a lot more opportunity for us in terms of how we address our team members' experience. Absolutely. And even with chatbots, right, once you introduce it, it's not going to be overly daunting for people because these days in, in, in everybody's personal lives, we're so used to uh, chatbot-based assistance, your Siri, your Alexa. So I think by bringing that into your organization uh, allows people to engage and interact and frankly help their job done, uh, get it done sooner, faster, better, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that in our in our roles, we are accountable for when, when there is new te technology um, that's being used outside of work that team members see a lot of value in. We have to take a look and say, is there a use case or is there value in bringing that inside the organization? And are there problems we can solve using that technology? And doing it in the right way, not to introduce something new uh, just because it's like the hot topic of the year. You know, everybody's, everybody's got a chatbot. You get a chatbot. Everybody gets a chatbot. But, you know, we're, we're not sure if this is something that's going to be helpful. So that's why we're starting it out small. We're piloting it with a, with about 400 team members, and we're going to extend that pilot next year. 
and really try to learn from it and see if it's a good fit. And, and that might even identify other opportunities for us in terms of how to solve for those same problems. We live truly in an exciting time, especially in your line of work, Christy, where you're impacting that the scale and the amount of people. Um, it's just amazing, right? And just looking back at your journey at Wells Fargo, when would you say the shift started to happen and what advice would you give for folks listening on how to create that change, how to make that happen, how to really uh, lead and drive this new world of, of digital workplace? Yeah, so Wells Fargo has undergone a, a great amount of change over the past few years. There's been a lot of changes at our company and, and that change organizationally has really fueled a greater focus on not just improving our customer experience, but also our team member experience. I think that the leadership at our company really gets that you can't have happy customers if you don't have happy team members. And so it's it's almost become a bit of a, a shift across the organization that you know we're seeing more groups talking about the team member experience and getting interested in the team member experience that in the past, you know, we we would have to drag them kicking and screaming just to hear, you know, hear us out making the case for the team member experience. But now they're coming to us and wanting to partner with us. And so that's really for me, you know, been like a shift just overall. And I think a lot of that is just driven by the shifts and the change at, you know, across Wells Fargo in general. And and my advice, you know, for others that are experiencing this kind of change or managing change is to be open to change and be willing to do something different, step out of, you know, what your comfort zone is and what you've always done in the past, but also not to change just for change's sake. You know, we find that you get really excited about the opportunity to do, you know, an overhaul of a redesign of something you've always done and and kind of going back to the chat, I think, oh, we let's get all the new bells and whistles. Let's really go super modern. And that's not always going to work for your team members. And so it's about doing it in the right way. And for me, it always goes back to the user research and the active listening and always making sure that you're testing and learning with new technology. But at the end of the day, listen to your team members and spend time understanding how they work, what their true needs are, and then solving for that versus letting the technology drive those changes. Chrissy, I, I love your story. And it reminds me of, you know, back in the days, traditional IT, right? We get so caught up with, ooh, ooh, here's the latest and greatest. Ooh, SharePoint 2010. Ooh, let's customize it. And uh, that, that's where you start from. But now we're, we're going back to the basics. It's about people. It's, you know, having empathy as to what people are doing pain points and challenges, and then using technology as a way to solve them, right? And not giving them, here's a wonderful technology, go find a problem. Right, exactly. Well, Christy, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm sure our listeners are grateful for a lot of the learnings you've shared and thinking on how they can proceed as they uh, journey into their digital workplace. And for everybody else listening, thank you for tuning in. If you've liked this episode, Feel free to subscribe and make sure to tune in to the next one. Until the next time, have a great day. Bye. Chef 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 Chef
Shift Happens Podcast is a production of AbPoint, Inc. Produced and edited by the AbPoint brand team. Stay up to date on the latest trends in digital workplace transformation by visiting AppPoint.com.